Welcome to Trinity Radio with Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett and and, and empty and chair. Here he comes. Oh, well, here he is. Here he comes. He's coming in. <laughs> there he is. The vocab Malone. Malone. Andy Just was from, grabbing uh, some last minute books. Yeah, yeah, we need all those books. And uh, Andy Armstrong, who is one of our staff here at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, said, you know, I've seen that dude before, and I think he's been around since before Post Malone, and he's got the coolest name ever, Vocab. I am, pre, stage name. I am pre-Post Malone, that's true. Pre-Post Malone, yeah, that's pretty why, good. Why is he copying your name? What's that about? I mean, why is he biting on your thing, man? He's a big fan. I don't know, but maybe that is a case. You know, he's seen some of the videos, but I, I got it from tagging. I would tag Mal One, M A L One E, and then I just made it a left. It's not my real last name. Well, whatever it is, we like it. And you are here because we have, well, first of all, I've long been uh, someone who appreciates what you're doing and uh, wanted to have you on the show. I don't know why we haven't already. It's it's probably just, uh, I didn't think we about weren't it at the big right enough. time. <laughs> yeah, and, and now we're maybe now we're just maybe getting now close we're, to we're, big we're, enough to have the great vocabulary. Right. But you are known for probably several things. But one of the things that I know you for is responding to a somewhat new religious movement called Black Hebrew Israelism. Maybe is the way to say it. The Black Hebrew Israelite movement. Yeah, sometimes people will say that. Uh, I, I prefer the phrase Hebrew Israelism because then it's an ideology and people gotcha. can identify maybe as a Christian while still imbibing some Hebrew Israelism. Yeah, yeah. So that would be more of an umbrella term, which all these other various disparate movements within that operate under. Yeah, because there's so many different factions and sects. Some veer um, to kind of an extremist, militant uh, brand, and then others go over here to what almost looks like um, – almost really close to mainstream Judaism, or sometimes people might call it black Judaism, depending on how it's practiced. And then some of the groups almost are chameleon-like. If you walked in, you may not know that they teach and preach Hebrewism there on a regular basis. You might think you're at a Christian church with some of these groups, yeah. Hmm. So we're gonna talk about this, and what we want is what I'd like to happen here, and it doesn't mean it's gonna be like formal and structured or anything, but what I'd like to happen here is if you are a Christian or not a Christian, but you don't really know uh, what what this is exactly, and and how uh, how how a Christian thinks about it. Because you know, even if you're not a Christian, this is a thing that impacts Christianity. And if you're in the worldview space, you might want to know this. And so we're gonna let vocab teach us, bro. I don't know almost anything about this, right. and so I'm really glad that you're here. But first, I have to ask because Santi from Finding Truth asked. Are y'all going to let vocab do a little rap? So is there any universe where we get a little rap from you, vocab? I do my best, but I'm pretty much semi-retired. I basically just rap to uh, have people laugh at me at this point. Well, the greatest movements, uh, the, the, some of the greatest events, uh, greatest movies are when uh, the, the main character comes out of retirement for one last time. And that's maybe what we're looking for. <laughs> or, <here>. or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm or not. thinking about uh, getting back into the ring. Actually, you, you Rocky Balboa me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Rocky six. Great. We'll, we'll, we'll move on from it. We won't make yeah. your ass. Actually, I, but do tell us a little bit about yourself and your background so yeah. that people who may not be familiar with 
either you or the subject matter, why don't you give a, everyone a little bit of, of autobiography of how you became yeah. vocab alone? Uh, talk a little book. bit talk about, about your, your book too. Yeah. No problem. I'm a Midwest kid, Columbus, Ohio. And even though um, I'm part Sicilian in my background and I'm you know proud of it, honestly, I'm probably more Midwest even than I am Sicilian. It's very impactful in the way I kind of approach things and uh, all of that. So born and raised in Columbus, moved around a bit. But now I lived in Phoenix uh, almost for half my life because I came out to go to Bible college and just kind of stayed. So I got two places here that are kind of really impacting me and and whatnot as far as environments because i'm a city kid too you know um i'm a, I'm a city kid i uh, i guess you could say i i was always in the city and i guess a lot of times i was a uh, hood adjacent i guess you might say <laughs> so you know a lot of mix and match and you learn a lot along the way and i got into hip-hop really young because it was everywhere around me and uh then i just started doing christian hip-hop there was really no blueprint back then and we would kind of we're trying to blend like battle rapping with Christian hip hop. It was sometimes a mess, but we started this in high school. When I say we, we had a group called the Showcase MCs. And in it was a guy named John Rubin who went on to have a decent career with a Christian record yeah. label called Goatee. Yeah. yeah. DC so Talks old label. Yeah. So Toby Mac founded the label. Toby Mac signed John. When John first went out to talk to them, I drove him to Nashville. So, you know, kind of saw that behind the scenes stuff. But me, it was always going to be kind of the Bible route. And because I love the Bible, I would go out in different settings and try to do evangelism. It wasn't really natural to me. It was very difficult. But I would always end up usually having some good conversations in these street settings that I would kind of put myself in to talk to people. And that drove me more into apologetics. But it was apologetics of a very street-level nature. And that's why my book is called Street Level apologetics yeah man i love that passion for the city clarity for the people kind of That's a how-to right. some inspirational stories in there and um awesome. eventually i started getting more and more interested in the research side and all that ended up at seminary got a master's degree want to do more i'm kind of in the middle but it's on pause of a demon program at talbot but through all that I was also very intellectually curious and interested in getting to know my neighbors and things that they believed. So different worldviews, you know, I'd always like to study them and all that. And one of them eventually became Hebrew Israelism. And then I felt like there wasn't enough people doing it. So I said, I'm going to stick with this until enough people are doing it. <laughs> but that hasn't happened yet. So here I am. Well, here you are today to try and get some more people interested in it, including myself. I'm interested, but I don't know enough. Yeah. So why don't you take a second and like, just give us like, I don't know, a couple, however long you want to go, a couple of paragraphs maybe or something about what the heck is going on here? What is this? Where did it come from? And uh, I, you know, you see it in the news occasionally, New York Times had an article about it. Um, but, but what, what in the world is going on vocab? Yeah, no problem. And on the last thing, just so you know, there are lots of people involved now more than mm. seven years ago, uh, but we still need more because the thing's growing. Like you mentioned, it's popping up now in uh, major media. So yeah. the Kanye kerfuffle, uh, some of the things he was saying were influenced by Hebrew Israelism. Oh. Some people don't know, but during that time okay. when he was saying certain things, he was even doing some interviews with Hebrew Israelites on a platform called Clubhouse. He was oh, with man. a 
a guy who was called uh, WAC 100, who was like a hip hop manager, but WAC 100 was friends with some Hebrew Israelites. So Kanye ended up talking to these guys, saying stuff like, yeah, I know we're the real Jews and stuff like that. And that is the essence of Hebrew Israelism. We, however the person defines the group, are the real Jews. That's that's so hold up, happens. hold up. I, I don't want to break your flow vocab, but Sorry? um so we are most people are gonna be familiar with the Kanye thing. Uh -huh. So if someone says we are the real Jews, uh, um it, that that can only be some flavor, uh, unless they're Jewish. <laughs> it can be the only flavor of it, right? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, that can only be one of the flavors of Hebrew Israelism, right? Yes, but no. So let me tell you, okay. 100 years before Hebrew Israelism got off the ground, and I'm talking about the very beginnings in the 1890s, something already existed called the Anglo-Israelites, sometimes mm -hmm. referred to as the British Israelites. If you ever pick up one of these old books on cults and stuff, a lot of times you'll see an entry in there on the Worldwide Church of God. Worldwide mm. Church of God was popular on the radio through the ministry of Herbert Armstrong. It's crazy how things pass. He was so influential, and now you say his name, a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. But Armstrongism, because now there's lots of movements that branched out from him, a key element was that it had adopted Anglo-Israelism. So Europeans and a lot of white Americans, basically, we're from, is what Herbert Armstrong and those guys were saying, uh, we're from the tribes of Israel. And sometimes that would include um, not including mainstream Jews on their chart or their spectrum. Sometimes they would include them. But the idea is ahistorical and let's say non-traditional or non-standard ways of identifying yourself and your lineage. So they use Bible passages, prophecy, and then apply it to their nation and then apply it to them as an individual, for example. So the Anglo-Israelites existed 100 years before. So someone may say that and it may be an Anglo-Israelite. I guess. You know? You. Okay. So a yeah, full distinction. But you heard yeah. Kanye say that and your ears perked up because that sounds like some stuff you're used to hearing. Oh yeah, he was saying we're the bloodline of Christ and we're from the tribe of Judah. All the stuff he was saying um you know, where Hebrews like talking point okay. not okay, not all, and as well to be honest, um warm feelings sometimes for the man with the mustache. So, you know, he has these comments he's making that are friendly towards AH. Hmm. And it's like, what? Some Hebrew Israelites feel the same way. And in fact, there's a well-known meme, been debunked, it's on Snopes even, where uh, they pass it around and it's got Hitler talking to a guard. And he says, yeah, uh, really, America's got God's jewels. And uh, people are going to look back and understand that this war was really to free them and this and that. And he has this conversation basically recognizing that black folks in America are the real Israelites. And this meme was well known enough that people like, uh, I think the Sean Jackson, I think he was a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, had shared this at one point. Uh, the movie that Kyrie Irving uh, had shared a link to on Twitter, X, that movie had that same debunked a component with Hitler admitting who the true Jews are and all that stuff. So uh, it's very interesting. And that's where you get this strange confluence of anti-Semites who agree on certain issues because you'll have like Christian identity folks and Aryan nation folks and people like that, even the Klan, and they'll like some of that anti-Semitic rhetoric and the Hebrew Israelites will actually agree with them on some of that. 
And mm. even though they're diametrically opposed, opposed in other ways, they agree on hating Jewish people. Now, they won't say that's what it is, but basically it is. So, so that's I, I broke your I broke your flow here, but that's all really helpful. So um, so what I'm, I'm taking so far is it's uh, is that black Hebrew Israel is Israelite or Hebrew Israelism, as you put it, is uh, is a movement where people who are not as traditionally categorized uh, genetically Jewish or maybe even religiously Jewish are now. Right. Uh, saying that the that these promises, prophecies, and peoples of say the Old Testament specifically are about them. You got it. Or from that's them. it. And so that conclusion then has different applications depending on what ideological sect they align with. For example, one is an eschatology that includes hardcore bondage for members of other nations with Hebrew Israelites being the taskmasters. Wow. That's one scenario. And so there is a sector of the internet and you can look at some of my shorts. I so I show some of the imagery where it'll be like bloody whips and chains and babies on leashes. And it'll be like a, a dude holding, holding these members of different nations, you know, like their dogs and cats or something like that. That's, one version or application and usually those guys who are affiliated with a type of hebrew israelism called one west hebrew israelism they'll also say only israelites can be defined and it depends how they define israelites but a lot of times they'll include native americans and hispanics as well because they have a 12 tribes chart that they look to and so the applications are no salvation for anybody else bondage for the other nations but then you go over here and maybe like Israel of God, group out of Chicago, pretty big. They'll say, hey, we know this now, but our job's not to preach hate and teach hate. Our job is to be a teacher of God's word to the other nations because that's what Israel was supposed to do, to be a light to the Gentiles. So we need to show in our demeanor, our decorum. We need to show the other nations what Torah-based living looks like, what gospel principles lived out look like. We need to show them. So they would have more of a big brother type thing. And so their first mission, though, is to wake people up to their true identity. So then they can teach the other nations what it means to be a follower of God's law. So that will all fall within Hebrew Islamism, though, both of those kind of extremes. But within both, there's kind of an ethnic hierarchy. Yeah. So like when you're talking about that one West movement, that sounds uh, like they're saying that am I understanding you from what I've heard of you already that they um, identify these different ethnic groups uh, with the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. I think I heard you say something like that. Is that right? One Westers usually do mm-hmm. sometime in the seventies. We're not exactly sure a man named Arya who. Uh, according to some accounts, is dead. According to other accounts, is still alive, but he'll be 82 or 83 if he is alive. Received a vision while he was on um, the leave of absence from work because he had an injury in construction. And he was already in a school, a Hebrews Light school in, Har- in Harlem. But he received this vision, uh, instruction from the Lord that told him which people groups were of rich tribe. And then uh, the people at the school studied it out and found it to be so, they say. And so if you see one of the groups with the 12 tribes chart, 
they usually go back to a school at One West. So One West is not a group. It's more like an ideology. Like if I say, oh, he's a Christian, he's a Wesleyan Christian. Gotcha. One West is similar. It's not a denomination per se, uh, usually. One West is like an ideological header. Some of the people in One West camps, Braxton, Jonathan, don't even know the history of One West. I run into a lot of Hebrew, younger Hebrew Israelites because the movement's growing. They don't know anything about the history of anything what I'm talking about. They All they know is I'm an Israelite, and my job is to wake up uh, our people. So well, with ahead, all these, when you, and you do a lot of street evangelism with these different groups. So how, so it's important for you to know going into these evangelistic settings, which group you're dealing with so that your arguments, I, I assume, have to shift because the one West has certain beliefs, others groups that they have different beliefs about their role to, to enlighten the nations, like you said. So um, you can't, it, it seems to me that this is not something you can just jump right into without doing some basic groundwork to, to understand. So what are some resources that you know of that would help people parse out these different groups and so they they could be prepared. And what do you look for when you're on the street that oh, we're going to go encounter some Hebrew Israelites that you know who which ones you're approaching, so you know which uh, mm -hmm. way to encounter. Here's one resource. I have a book called Barack Obama versus the Black Hebrew Israelites. It's a primer. <laughs> it just just yeah. supposed to be a memorable title. It's not a book on politics. You have to read it to understand why it's titled. But basically, it's just a primer introduction, real basic, real short, real easy. And that helps. And then I run a blog at a website called theshieldsquad.com. And I put a lot of stuff up about this, although not only stuff about that. And uh, another thing, honestly, your eyeballs. I'm not even being funny. Your ears. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say you're out on the street, Jonathan, and you're like, you know what? I got some time today. Let me talk to these guys. Well, look, do they have signs out? If they have some signs, study those signs. Read those signs. See what's printed on their signs. Are they handing out literature? Can you get a look at it? Look at that flyer. Look at that pamphlet right there. Do they have a website listed and you're, you're hanging out on the side? Go, go, go to the website. Go to the Twitter account, whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? You can learn a lot, especially if you've already done some apologetics evangelism, you know, or you're, you're kind of somewhat aware. You'll be able to discern and figure out some things. You may not know everything, but you don't have to go all deep and know all the differences you will be able to get, you'll be able to learn enough from there and just at, then just ask questions about what you see so i see let's say uh, let's say you're uh let's say you're part chicano you're you'll say you're mexican on your father's side who, whoever is listening and you see on their chart it says issachar is actually mexicans ask the question hey i see your chart here it says that uh mexicans are actually issachar can you tell me why and they're going to say, let's go to Genesis 49. And they're going to explain why from Genesis 49. Now, that's just with the conversation rolling if you're trying to learn. So I just say you can learn a lot by asking the questions. Now, the thing is, if they're on the street and they got a microphone, you ask one question and be prepared for a you know roller coaster all throughout different, seemingly a lot of times unrelated text. And you just got to really follow around and... Um, but, you know, you'll get it. You'll see, especially if you've dealt with some of the other groups that maybe handle the Bible clumsily. I'll put it that way. If you've dealt with them at all, you kind of know, okay, we're going on a roller coaster. Here we go. 
And you just kind of go on the roller coaster ride and see what they're trying to say and then ask the next question. So I think anyone can do it. It's almost not just skill set, like kind of what we're talking about, you know, observation, induction. A lot of it has to do with character. And what I mean is you've got to have patience when when dealing with a lot of the groups, especially if you're talking about a street setting. Got to have thick skin, an easy smile, and irrefutable energy because you'll get quickly deflated if you don't have those things. And I believe those things come from the, 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 the Lord working on, you know, the the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, you know, uh, that's what I'm talking about here. But you got to do that because otherwise, man, they'll get you uh, ready to fight. They'll get, I've seen people cry on the street when these guys talk to them, you know. So, are they going to be intentionally provocative toward the people engaging with them? Every group's different. Uh, so, so, the biggest thing, the biggest thing yeah. I'm hearing vocab is they need to buy your book. And Pritchett, what did you just see me do a minute ago? You just bought the book. I just bought the book on Kindle. <laughs> hey. So. Yeah, so that's what you Bravo. all should do too, and there's a link in the description at least to his stuff. So, yeah. so get that get that book, get his new book too, but get that book so we know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's, some will be uh, intentionally provocative. Let's say it's a slow day for them, and they see uh, now most groups don't do this, but there are videos of groups doing this. They'll see a woman go by with her daughter, and I've seen some of the groups say, "Hey, that little girl is going to be my sex slave in the future." Oh my gosh. Now, granted, that's only one particular group that does that GMS, and they don't do it all the time. But they will do it. Other groups like IUIC, let's say they saw Jonathan and Braxton walking down the street and they would just make a guess about your lineage based upon your phenotype. They won't even talk to you, they won't look at you, they won't hand you anything. They will act as if you do not physically exist, you're literally irrelevant to them. Other ones will say, Hey, you're going into slavery, Esau. You're going into slavery for what you did. You know, others will say, if you feel bad at what, what you did, come here and kiss my boots. ISUPK loves to get people to kiss their shoes. And they say it's a hard thing to, yeah, actually lick it with their tongue. Just put on YouTube boot kissing ISUPK and you'll have playlists of 50 videos long. Wow. Every now and then, some of these channels, these uh, Twitter handles, these X, you know, X, like say In Wokeness Now or one of those, they'll get a hold of one of these videos. And they'll say something, they'll put a little comment, but they don't really understand what's going on. Meaning they look at it as like, oh, look, wokeness. No, this is like, he, this is one West Hebrew Israelism, the boot kissing stuff. Now, granted, I'm mentioning some of the extreme stuff. Not yeah, every yeah. camp is into that stuff, but it's out there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like it doesn't exist. Yeah. From, from seven years worth of experience with this, though, I am curious of why do you think whether it's, in any sort of Hebrew Israelism or even the Anglo Israelism, what is this, do you think, psychological trigger that, that, that have people want to connect themselves to the biblical story going all the way back, uh, I guess, to the Exodus and all of that? What, what is it that, that these groups, why do they come up with these ideas uh, to insert themselves in that? What, what do you think that's about? Yeah, excellent. If I wanted to be feisty, Jonathan, I could blame dispensationalism. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. No, I don't. Please. I don't want. I don't. I don't need. I don't need to do all that because. <laughs> well, but, but yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go. I was going to reframe the question, but you can probably take. No, it I know. Me. I know what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I, I honestly, if we if if we don't understand what it means to be number one created in the image of God, to bear the imago dei, let's say for some reason historically. 
we haven't been told that we don't think that we don't understand that truth we don't understand who we are uh just as a person who bears the image of god that's that's one thing and then secondly more fundamental more acute is who we are in christ or who you can be in christ what it means to be in christ you know ephesians 2 10 says that we're god's workmanship his poema his poem his craftsmanship and that we've been created in christ to do good works that he's prepared us to do second corinthians 5 17 says that we're a new creature new creation in christ when you look at romans 6 it speaks about how we're we're dead to sin we're alive to god you know you go and you just see all what it means to be and then our future what it what it is to be at the marriage supper of the lamb and to be in the body of christ and be the bride of christ if that's not taught if that's not understood if that's not believed it's that that's if that's not cherished we'll want something else we'll want something else to root our identity in to feel special and hebrew Islamism, it scratches the itch so to speak well, and this, we all you know, so that's 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 short answer but go ahead yeah i mean but answer? just from a historical theological perspective i mean you, you say you don't want to be you know if you were to be fussy you say dispensationalism but there are hyper form i mean that that was kind of a precursor around that time frame if you're talking about you know in the 1800s or whatever um there was this sense and still to this day there's a sense in some at least the more extreme or hyper dispensationalist groups um well israel um and then of course the church is is just the stupid step cousins to israel and god's you know overall arcing plan and all of that where they can make you feel as if you know the afterthought of the church you know but the there's israel uh and then then we're the step cousins or whatever the the, the gentiles mm -hmm. that were grafted in and so I, I could see how I, I know a lot of non-Jewish believers who get wrapped into uh, Messianic Judaism because they want to feel like they're more special Christian than all the other Christians and that they have some new keen insight. So I could see how this this seems to be a similar ex, just extension of the same uh, need for something greater than what you already have in Christ that, that that they could latch onto. So I could see some similarities there. So I, I can kind of understand why uh, you would say something like dispensationalism because you see that now, you know, mm -hmm. outside of Hebrew Israelism, you see that with a lot of Christians and Gentile Christians who, who want to attach themselves to the Messianic mo uh, Christian movement for, for that mm -hmm. same desire to think that you're now somehow uber spiritual. Mm -hmm. And that does <laughs> yeah. have an elitism that can come along with it and I, I guess in, in, in a street culture, that could manifest itself in, in ways that, that would be pr more provocative or uh, come off as, as somewhat hostile if you're, if you're trying to. If you have an eschatology that, that, that is, like you said, not all of them, but like some of these groups that, that they're going to be the dominant and everyone else is going to be you know, the slaves to, to them or whatever. You could see where that, that kind of attitude would manifest itself. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. And I mean, everybody wants to know who they are, where they come from, where they're going, purpose, origin, all that kind of stuff. It becomes acute, more acute, perhaps. And uh, maybe if you're identifying with a community that's historically oppressed and uh, described as lesser and and have a situation where dignity 
has not been promoted or understood or valued or cherished by, say, a majority society. There's there's those very real issues. But, you know, you know, that wouldn't explain Anglo-Israelism, right? That, that, that rubric. So there's different things going on. And, you know, you go all the way back to Galatians. And Paul was marveling, like, hey, you started this with the Spirit. Why are you going over to the law? What are you doing? So that that desire for this, this law-based, some kind of works alchemy, you know, where you're mixing mm. it in with grace and, and all that, then that's an element too. And most versions of Hebrew Israelism have that as well. That's why they push law-keeping um, as they say it, although they really don't do it according to Torah most of the time. And you'll see this, you know, 613, Sinai. And a lot of these guys, if they do believe in Christ, because not all Hebrews will like to accept Jesus as Messiah, but the ones who do basically have a Jesus who just resets the covenant for Israel. They'll call it the renewed covenant, which actually the Hebrew roots folks say too. So, you know, we see an increase of Hebrew roots and there definitely are some parallels and overlap. It's just there's more of an ethnocentrism usually with Hebrew Israelism than maybe is with Hebrew roots. Uh, but that's a very real thing. If you guys ever want to look at that, get on uh, R.L. Somber. He's great on that. Well, we'll get we'll get that from you later. So uh, I have a question on the screen we're going to get to. But before we do that, because that is that is phrased exactly how I kind of wanted to ask something. So thanks, Nathan. But before we get there, just just to OK, so we got a movement here that attaches itself to um, Israel, to to Judaism and says that ultimately this was us. And we're the ones that come forth from this. They do. Ex some of them do. Ex most of them maybe do accept uh uh, a version of Jesus, but he's kind of, you said, resetting the old Torah law and everything again. Usually and, not God also, unless he's God in a generic sense, like all Israelite males are God in a sense. Yeah, he's usually not God, oh, okay. unqualified. Okay, yeah, so no divine Christ with most of them is what uh -huh. you're saying. And then, okay, so now, was Jesus black? Definitely. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah, sure. So yeah. I see the question on the screen about a common exegetical argument. You know, I'm somewhat of a professional here, so that's a perfect segue. You said it's Jesus Black. He has that question, and I said mention their signage earlier. Let's do a good callback. Almost all the signage you see is going to have somewhere a Black Jesus with the Scripture, Revelation chapter 1. And when it goes to Revelation chapter 1, they're definitely going to have verse 14. Okay. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. I'm starting in 112. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now, hold that thought. I'm going to skip real quick down to the end. Verse 20, the end of this section says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The reason why I skipped that before I go back up to 13 is to show you part of this allegory and the symbolism is interpreted right within chapter 1 itself. And since some of it's interpreted that way, it's a clue to let you know this is symbolic of other stuff. That's what you should be doing as a good exegete right there. But we're going to go back because I just wanted to give away that first so people could see the end to know I'm not just joshing them, as the old timers yeah. used to say. Yeah. Now, here we go. Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Now, here's the money verse. Maybe somebody can bring it up in the KJV. 
because of KJV, they like the interpretation a little bit better with some okay. of this. But here's what it says in ESV. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Now, there's other verses we're going to look at, but that's their key verse. Have you ever seen the Malcolm X movie with Denzel Washington? Yes. There's a scene in there where Denzel, he's transforming out of Detroit Red. That was his street name into Malcolm X, basically. And he has an argument with the chaplain in there. And he brings up this verse and uses it to show that Jesus had what? Woolly hair. And then the way the Hebrew Israelites frame it is, what race of people has woolly hair? Now, I'm going to show you a bunch of problems with this. Number one, these groups with the 12 by, tribes. By, start, the, by the way, Vocab, I've got the yeah. King James here if you want me to read. What, yeah, what yeah. What's the King James read? say with Revelation chapter 1, verse 14? His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Okay, good. Yeah. So one thing is, if we're going to be overly literal with this, then Jesus' head is white. So I guess he's a white man then? Is that what it's saying? <laughs> that's not what it's saying, though, everybody. But I'm saying that's where you could go with it. So it's describing the color of his hair. The hairs of his head were, what were they? They were white. They were white like what, John? They were white like wool. What else were they white like, John? They were white like snow. Oh, so Jesus had white hair. What does that symbolize in the Bible? Wisdom. The white hair symbolizes wisdom. Yeah. You could even speak of just the, the glowing element because this whole picture right here kind of sounds like Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, meaning that was Jesus in a sort of partially unveiled glory. This is Jesus in all his glory. This is the description of who he is. So Big picture, and, guys. And it's symbolic, right? There's symbolic yes. stuff going on. Here. They're yeah. taking imagery used to show the deity and majesty and royalty and dignity of Jesus Christ and making it about his ethnicity. Mm. But it's not even well, about that. And well, wait a minute. You're, you're saying, you're saying yeah. the, woolly, the woolly head. So the woolly hair. What's they're the saying point that, being made there? They're saying he's, he's got hair like Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or, or Morgan Freeman in his later years when he stopped dying it, you know? Yeah. That, that was uh, better. That was a better example. Cause I, the white hair, I was just thinking of the, well, yeah, yes. there you go. That's a, there you go. Yeah. That's what they're yeah, saying. I, there, right. This raises an interesting question in your experience. Cause I, cause like Braxton, I don't know a whole lot of this, but I am interested in hermeneutics. And so when, when you're dealing with, with them, steel man, the best you can, I, I suppose, how consistent is their hermeneutic throughout the scripture do they have a consistent method of interpreting scripture from genre to genre from corpus to corpus from testament to testament or or would you say it's kind of disparate or, or variegated or how would you how would you understand the way that they interpret texts when i'm feeling feisty i call their method of interpretation hebrew hopscotch <laughs> jump around the scriptures they jump around the scriptures till they get what they want they say no, no, no. This is in accordance with Isaiah. Isaiah says precept must be upon precept. Now, first of all, if we go to that Isaiah passage, it's not telling us the way to interpret the Bible. Most commentators include this, and it's kind of easy to read when you read it in its full context. When they're saying precept upon precept, it's actually the unbelievers mocking Isaiah for saying you're giving us baby food. They're saying you're giving us just these little 
pedantic little ABC instructions. When you read the whole passage, that's what they're saying. It's it's not telling you how to interpret the Bible. It's scoffers mocking Isaiah's instruction to them. And all you got to do There's is read it. There's a few evangelical preachers that, that, <laughs> that use that text for the same thing. Right. <laughs> now, you know, yeah, when you look at it, you'll, you'll, you'll see it's not, I mean, imagine it's like no one knew how to interpret the Bible. Then Isaiah came along and was like, it's got to be precept upon precept, guys. No one, that's not even what's happening though in the text. So they'll, they do it, but really what it is, it's, it's proof text stacking. So -hmm. they'll take some scriptures they feel are certain and they'll, with their interpretation of it, they'll put them in front of whatever you're trying to get to, to not allow that text to speak for itself. Almost like, well, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Most of them will say, so since we know this, this can't mean that. So that's really what they do. And so you can go on like quizlet.com, Jonathan, and they'll have um, these quizzes they take where they have to memorize certain precepts, as they would call them. And some of the groups pass out something called precept packets. And here's the thing. It may sound simple and everyone may be like, oh, how could anyone believe this? Don't think that. Number one, as they deal with Christians more, they're getting more clever. And some of these guys are pretty good at even if they are not good at interpreting scriptures properly, they may be decent at exposing Christian weakness or ignorance on certain scriptures. Mm. And then they'll use that to topsy-turvy you to go somewhere else or to kind of shake your foundation. So don't be unaware because they do it a lot of times with obscure Old Testament passages people aren't as aware of. Thanks, MJ Jackson, for that super chat, Cabster. Sup- All right, so up, back go, back to your uh, – you were walking us through this text and I liked mm-hmm. what you were doing there. Uh, so, so keep going. So, so they'll say, okay, what group of people has woolly hair? Now this is describing color, not texture. And they'll say, no, it's both. And then when they do that, I'll say, okay, what tech, what, what group of people has hair that's textured like snow? If no so, if, if, the, if, yeah, if the wool is about being that texture, yeah. Then, then what about the snow? Right. See, you you can't even be consistent within this little spot. All it's saying is Jesus had white hair, and that's symbolic. Most people understand of his wisdom. Of wisdom, yeah. His eyes so, were like a flame of fire. I'll go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna. I was just. Gonna I was gonna say the 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 hairs right here in your pattern baldness kind of felt a little bit like snow well it, it does the texture might be a little bit like snow. <laughs> as it, it also out. might be like what rocks dream about but <laughs> yeah. the, but the but the thing about uh you know the hoary head is the crown of glory yes the Bible says. Yeah. all right go ahead Amen. Amen. eyes like Amen. fire eyes like fire a lot of them literally interpret that as jesus is coming back a little drunk and pissed <laughs> oh wow yeah all right no, no break joke. that down for us vocab well, have you ever seen uh, one of our people when they have a little something to drink? It's The Christian church is weak. They tell you you can't drink anything. That's not true. Jesus is a man, and he's going to come back angry, and he's going to come back a, with a, a little a little wine in him, and so his eyes are going to be red. Okay. That is a very – I mean, that and almost – And why does that sp- – go ahead. That almost go. puts to shame dispensationalists oh, on literalism. Quit that. <laughs> I mean, now, but, but, what, literalism. But, but hold up vocab why does why is that like um ethnic good question two things i think it's simply a tactic to avoid allowing that to all to be what it needs to be which is symbolic 
Mm-hmm. So you're making it so, you're making it like literal because because clearly it's it has to do with the fire of Yahweh the the piercing gaze that purifies and sees and judgment. That's yeah. that's a symbolism there. So they're yeah, getting right. away from that. And some of them will say that especially our people look like this when they're drunk or or oh. they won't say drunk. they usually won't say drunk. They'll say the, the, he's not drunk, but but yeah. have has some wine in the system. He's His feet. Drunk. His feet were like burnished bronze. Now, what's the KJV say there? Let me pull it Revelation one. Read Revelation one fifteen. <laughs> Revelation one fifteen. Am I still in the KJV? Yeah. Yep. It mm-hmm. says, "And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned, as if they burned in a furnace." So, and what do you think they do with that? The, if you had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they say that. Well, I already saw you on another channel, so I know. Oh. <laughs> but they say they say that uh, that that when that it's burnt, and so it's black. Is that right? Yeah. What color is something when it burns, or or when it's burnt? They'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now a like, few things but, about that. Uh, in the ESV, it says his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Mm-hmm. Right. That's mm-hmm. a verb. Perfect passive participle singular genitive feminine the point is you said you weren't gonna rap (laughs) (laughs) it's not saying they were burnt even in the kjv you get it if you understand the english tense it says as if they burned right Mm -hmm. isn't that isn't the way it reads is that is that what it says in the kjv as if they burned yeah yeah as if they yeah it's not past tense it's not a completed action so this matches up with the white head his feet are also on fire. Yeah. That, that's that's what's going on here. He's a man of flame. I have a friend, yeah. Jerome Gay. He says this is picture Jesus like a, a glowing candy corn, you know, because he, he's saying the, <laughs> the, 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 the image of the colors. You know, that's what's going on. Right. So, and who doesn't love candy corn? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like candy. I don't think, I don't know if anyone of our, isn't that like from another generation or something? I, I don't know, know, but I like candy. My daughter Maybe likes I'm from the other generation. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. But, so, but, but we'll pray on. for you. This Bracken. is all obviously imagery stuff, and and like should be. And like you say, just to recap for people, even in that passage of scripture, it gives you here's what the here's what the lampstands are. Lampstands are the churches, the stars are the messengers yeah. or angels, however you. And, and these these things are symbols. And then you and then you come to this, and you should recognize we're doing some imagery stuff here. But they're saying, well, there are ways with each of the, they might not say it this charitably. There are ways with each of these that we can make this uh, about Jesus's physical appearance when he returns. It's about precepts, Braxton, not about exegesis. Right, right. No, exactly. Exactly. There you go. And sometimes if you say something, let's say you said that to them out there, they'll say, they might say this, oh, you Christians, you read the Bible like a novel. Uh, And it's almost like an insult. they mean like you're reading it almost like chronological order. Oh, like is this grand narrative or something? I I, I don't I don't know if ex- I hear him say it all the time. Basically, it's an excuse for them to precept you to death. But <laughs> when you when you look, you see okay, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. They might say this. Now, if his feet are black or brown, what color do you think the rest of his body is? Uh, black or brown. It's not going to be white because, and, and then that's where I go, okay, let's be consistent. But his head is white, right? According to that. So what are you going to do? So you have problems of consistency just within the text. But if you take everything as glowing, fire, hot, 
flame, it makes sense of what it's saying of who he is. And it's picturing Jesus in very Yahwehistic Old Testament terms. And let me show you exactly what I mean by that. The next line. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Wow. His voice was like. Possessed by a demon or do you have effects? I have effects. Just like Doss. Impressed with that. His voice was like the roar of many waters. So check that out. What's that saying? The Hebrewites will say that's the baritone voice of the so-called black man. Think of Barry White or James Earl Jones. Yeah. Yeah, but, well, they got us there. Not so much well, in Michael Jackson, but... they. I feel like they just proved their point. Yeah. But here's the thing. When you go to the actual scripture and you look up passages... Like Ezekiel 43, 2, behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, yeah. and the earth shone with his glory. That's Ezekiel 43, 2. You cannot understand Revelation unless the Old Testament allusions are jumping out at you, or you're clicking on those cross-references, or you're highlighting them and going back later in your Bible doing something like that, and that's one of the places you would need to do it. And then you say, oh. John is describing the way Jesus sounds with the way Yahweh sounds. Okay, and what's the loudest thing in the ancient world? Mm-hmm. Think about a think about a uh, like Niagara Falls. You know, yeah. that's what's going on. All right. Yeah. What do you say, though, bro? Well, I was going to say real quick that that Christians also may not realize this because Christians seem to think that if it's in black letters, a bold quote, or it's introduced introduced with a formula as the scripture says, or as Isaiah says, there are no actual citations of the Old Testament in Revelation, but it has the most echoes and allusions to the Old Testament, more so by the hundreds more Uh, than any other book in the New Testament. So in order to make those kind of connections, you have to understand that not every time the Bible in the New Testament is referencing the Old Testament is it an actual quote with the introductory formula, but it's these echoes and illusions that you need to capture the language. And so you need to be familiar with the imagery that, that is used in the Old Testament and the narratives yes. and the story so that you can interpret a book like Revelation, knowing that it has more echoes and callbacks to the Old Testament than any other book, including like Romans, which chock full of Old Testament quotes. But Revelation yes. still beats them all. And perhaps the reason why at the end some of those things are interpreted, but not all of them. I think is because those may be the only ones that are not clear from Old Testament illusion as much as the others. For example, yeah. the roaring of many waters, you should be able to go, boom, Ezekiel, you got it. Uh, the seven churches, maybe not so. That You wouldn't necessarily yeah. gather that from an Old Testament illusion, perhaps. I, that's actually what I think it's going on, why you have some of it, the less explicit things interpreted that way so it can be understood. Now, what about this? In his right hand, he held seven stars. That's interpreted. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Well, go to Isaiah 49, two. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. And you look in the scripture, it's described, it's, this is the word of God. This is the Lagos. This is Jesus. Now, another thing would be to say, okay, what ethnic group of people has a mouth that's like a sharp two-edged sword? Clearly, it's symbolism. Usually, though, they don't make it down there to even that. Usually, they just want the feet and the hair. That's what they're usually after. Sometimes they'll get the voice and the eyes, but the feet and the hair are what they're after. And so then if someone says, because they'll ask you this, Braxton, they'll ask you this sometimes, what did Jesus look like? If you say, I don't know, Bible doesn't describe him, they'll go to Revelation and say, yes, it does. 
Yeah, uh, I would just be like, well, he probably looked like a Jew, but that's because I don't take all your presuppositions about all this. But you're but you're right. It does describe him. Uh, But first of all, thanks to Eric Smith for becoming a channel member. Now, someone just put up, well, what are they going to do with like the lamb? And you kind of answered this in a way by saying, well, they go to these particular things they know they got uh, they get a lot out of. But D new says here uh, they'll pull up pics on Google of lambs that aren't white. Uh, and say, see, is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah, they literally do that. But that's, that's a, um, that's a switcher maru because I thought we were talking about texture, but now they're making right. it about color. Yeah. They're going, they're going back. What is the color? What is the, but, but that doesn't even matter. Forget about lambs that don't have wool. That's white. John's talking about lambs that do have white wool. Cause he tells you <laughs> it's white wool. He's talking about. So if you know what yeah. white, lambs will look like then you know what he's talking about as far as the color do you think they do you now obviously this is completely subjective but like i have a hard time imagining that like when i'm sitting there why am i saying like so much but when i'm sitting there looking at this evidence that you're presenting that they think they have um it how did i'm like do they really believe this like do they really believe this or is this like do you think most of them really believe this (laughs) You know what the leaders, the leaders are interesting, especially if they've been doing it a while. Some of it ends up winding down to tradition. And they'll say things like, we follow God's word, we don't believe in tradition. But then when you hear some of the leaders, the older ones talk, some of the things that they interpret in certain ways, when you really analyze what they're saying, they're basically saying, because this is the way I was taught to break this down. You know, this is what this is gotcha. what Aria taught us at the old school at One West One Twenty Fifth Street, and so some of it literally is a somewhat newer tradition that's now embedded as if this is the obvious way that this passage should be understood. But but this you could be answering my question. I think I heard you say on another video that um, what happens a lot of times, and I realize you're saying that there's not a monolithic group. There's a lot of different groups, but that that there is a there is a focus on look these are your leaders these are your men of god you listen to them they're going to tell you uh and they did i understand you right that that's how we cut off you being impacted by others yeah and some of the groups are more extreme in that kind of man-centeredness isupk is one of the worst they are not allowed to call their leader by his alias yahana they have to call him commanding general yahana one time I was talking to a Hebrew Israelite from ISUPK and I said, yes, General Yohana. And every time I typed it out, he corrected me and said, do you mean commanding General Yohana? So wow. I was, okay. uh, he's like instructing me, I need to say commanding General Yohana. And one of <laughs> commanding General Yohana's subtitles that literally appears on videos where he'll be speaking and then he'll put it on the screen is second only to Christ. Oh my gosh. So, another Pope. I would say so, but what he'll say is because he's the leader of Israel and God deals mm-hmm. with Israel and Christ isn't here, so the leader of Israel would be underneath Christ as the leader of Israel currently. And one so, time I asked one of the guys, I said, what about, because they believe in reincarnation, a lot of them, I said, what if King David was here reincarnated or something like that? And they said, well, what if he was just a baby? Then General Yohanna would still be over him. <laughs> but, okay. but, uh, so, so uh-huh. here's a, here, here's a question though. Like, so I'm a white boy, 
if I decided that this movement was right, that they're, they're correct. And I, so I go to, um, one of the groups, you pick which one you want to treat. I go to one of these groups and I say, all right, here I am. You guys are right. I'd like to join your movement. Uh, what's the reaction to something like that? If it's a group like Sakari, they'll say, good, kiss my feet. If it's GMS, they'll say, you know, even though you look like a so-called white boy, you might be one of our people who's been intermingled and you, mm. you may be an Israelite because Galatians speaks about our spirit cries out and tells us we're the sons of God. R Romans says something similar. And so they'll basically put it almost like a vibe check level. Like if you're serious, you're sincere, perhaps you are actually an Israelite. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't so it's think like of a, you. It's like, it's like I'm one of the elect, maybe. If I care, that may be an indication that I trace back. Well, these groups tend to interpret elect as Israelites who know they're Israelites and keep the faith of being an Israelite until the end. Okay. Because they think all of Israel as an ethnic group. Now, we're only talking about one kind of Hebrews light here. We're talking about I, one I Westerns. You. I got you. But GMS are one Westerns, but GMS has people who look white in their camp. But that's because they believe that you could be intermingled. And so they'll say, look, we're spread out all over. And so you could look like anything. But they won't say you're white because they'll say it's not about skin tone. It's about lineage. Now, they actually have a verse they use for that, Braxton, Jeremiah 12, 9. It says like this. <clears throat> I'm going to have to read it in the KJV. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Come ye, assemble all the beasts of the field, come to devour. So my heritage is as a speckled bird. They take that as God saying, uh, or basically being said about the Israelites, that they're different colors and shades because of they've been mixed up so much. Well, there's a certain amount of truth to this. I mean, if I were to grant all their presuppositions that uh, of what's going on here, I mean, it is true that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, genetic and ethnic intermarrying and things through in our history. So there is some truth in that, but it sure is an, it sure is convenient too, that if I'm a white guy that wants to be in there, oh well, yeah, well, you're probably, you're probably, you probably get there one way or the other. Yeah. Well, what if, but what if you came convinced that one of the other groups that wouldn't accept you? Yeah. What if I became, yeah. what is there a group that would just flat out say, no, you're not in. Yeah. Yeah. Sakari, ISUPK, IUYC, um, Watchmen for Israel. You know, there's a whole bunch of them that they just you're say, not take a hike, gonna... man. Yeah, like so. There's videos where a person be, uh, is talking to him on the street, and they say, "You know, you're right." And they'll say, "Okay, if you believe we're right, we're men of the Lord. Kiss our feet." And then they'll kiss their feet, and then they'll say, "Hey, you're you're a good white man in the kingdom. I'll pray the Most High gives you as my slave, and I won't work you as hard. And instead of 99 lashes, I'll give you 98." They make they they, they literally will say things like that. Wow. But the other groups like G, uh, GMS, like I said, they'll say you're an Israelite. You just don't look like an Israelite because of what our people have been through. Now, all the groups teach I that. I still have to kiss the boot? Do I still have to kiss the boot? GMS, GMS? wouldn't have. GM, first of all, GMS doesn't really do the boot kissing practice. They don't really. So there's That's certain Sicario. groups. Sakari. Sakari does. ISUPK is probably the most notorious. 
Okay. And I, I kiss their boot and, yeah. and let's say I, I do whatever ceremony or whatever might be involved. And then after that, is it now this is obviously subjective, but like, am I, am I going to be treated, uh, in a boot licking sort of fashion for the rest of my experience with those people in that church? I have a video that's a short, uh, on my channel right now where after the guy kisses all the boots, this is in Jersey. It's in New York, uh, in the, in the New York, uh, Jersey area. I forget which area it was, but the camp is NYNJ. And after he kisses all the boots, they go, all right, you're dismissed. And that's it. They say, go, go down the street. You're dismissed. Yeah. We're through with you. Yeah. So but I might, I might be, a, I, I might be a lenient. They might be lenient on me as a slave in the future is the idea. Uh, some you will hope. say that some, some will just say, this is what's coming to all the rest of you. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So Man. going back to the old Testament, when you have, what is it? Exodus twelve thirty eight, a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt. Uh-huh. So I've always understood. I know people have different takes of that, but I've always understood that Israel is primarily defined by a covenant more than it is an ethnicity, no matter what modern. That's claims right. Are made. That's no matter right. What claims, no matter what claims are made in the modern era about DNA and all of this and, and whatever. Um, it primarily defined by a covenant and it was a mixed multitude. It wasn't just the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that came out of there and gathered at Sinai. So the ones who make this all about ethnicity, and of course the Old Testament does describe Cushites and Moses married a Cushite woman. And we know there's a mixed multitude that left. Those who make it all about the black ethnicity and skin color what do, how do they interpret those kinds of texts? So the ones that go there, oh, I know one in particular, one group in particular, they say, that's true, they came out with them, but if you read the account, uh, those people all died before they got into the promised land. Oh, so this is yeah. only the, so they, they get the generation that, that went into the promised land was also screening out the ethnicities that didn't, yeah, that's that's one explanation I've heard. Mm, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering, like, when does this? When do they like? I, they say it's always been this way, right? Like, would they say like fr from the entire Old Testament? So uh, you you've got predominantly when we're talking about the Jewish people, we're talking about black people, right? Is what they're saying. So when we get at what point? Because obviously today we have um, we know what what. Uh, ethnically Jewish people are like in, in general senses, uh, physiologically, when do they think this occurred? The Khazarian thesis comes into play here. I, I thought so. I was hoping you would bring that up so I wouldn't have to. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'd be curious. Can, can you look up, uh, can you actually, I'm curious what your internet would say. If you look okay. up the Kazarian hypothesis or Kazarian thesis, I'd be maybe you might have to put Kazarian conversion. That might Kazarian. be what it, I'd be curious what kind of entries you get. But basically, I got Kazar, the Kazars, yeah. nomadic yeah, Tur Turkic people that mm -hmm. in the sixth century established a major commercial empire covering the southeastern section of modern Europe or European Russia. Southern Ukraine, Crimea, and Kazakhstan. They, yeah, but can you more. can you put can you put Kazarian conversion? I did. That's what it came up with. 
Oh, the, uh, well, because you didn't get anything about the conversion. Well, so it's a true thing that the people you just described, at least some of them, there's questions about numbers here because we don't know all the details. But it appears there was somewhat of a mass conversion of those people into some form of Judaism. Now, there's questions about what happened afterwards and how many people that would even constitute, you know, yeah. like how, how large was the Khazarian Empire, things like that. There but was a JSTOR article that came up. Uh, if, if anyone has an account, you can read about the. What's, what's the abstract? What's, what was it say? Uh, it wasn't an article. No, the JSTOR. Go back a page. I'm just curious what um, other people see when they see this, because I know my algorithm's all. Yeah, the Khazar got, Kingdom's you know. conversion to Judaism. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Good eyes. There we go. All right. You, so the, most you of the them abstract? say, most of them say that's what really happened, and that's who they really are, is uh, Khazars, and they'll they'll pin most of it on the Khazarian conversion. Now, there's some problems here with their chronology. So the different groups do different things with this, and you basically have to ask them. But a lot of times they just take it as a granted and will kind of use Khazar as a shorthand to describe a modern Jew who they, they see usually, usually as an ethnic and religious imposter. Now, the one Westers get a little nastier than just saying Khazar. They'll say, yeah, maybe they're Khazars, but really they're Amalek. Now, if mm. you study who the Amalekites are, what was yeah. King Saul supposed to do to, to do to the Amalekites? Kill them. Right. And if you go back and study who the Amalekites' ancestor was, it was Esau. Mm. Amal the Amalekites came out of Esau. So the Hebrew Israelites of the one West variety see white people as Edomites, descendants of Esau. So they use Obadiah against America in that fashion. If you have to read Obadiah to understand it's a prophecy against Edom, and they'll Richard's use it. Richard's got four hours on Obadiah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well did you read Obadiah? Did you read Obadiah one eighteen? I have, I have four hours. No, he skipped that one. I have four hours on Obadiah. <laughs> 10 well, tell me what fourteen. <laughs> what does Obadiah one eighteen mean? What does Obadiah one eighteen mean to you? He's bringing it up. Yeah, he's read the whole. Sorry, Bible, I'm, he doesn't have it I like to see what. I like to see what you guys say. So, so uh, they'll usually say Khazars, but if you're one Wester, they'll say Edomites, Esau, or Amalek or Amalekites, um, because they'll kind of look at Amalek as the the chief of Esau's um, tribes that came out of innocence and the most evil and wicked out of all of them. So they'll a lot of times say that Jewish people are actually Amalek and white folks are Edomites, and they use Obadiah 18, 118, depending on how you want to read it there against america and white people what's it say oh about the house uh, of jacob will be a blazing fire in the house of joseph a burning flame but the house of esau will be stubble jacob will set them on fire and consume edom therefore no survivor will remain of the house of esau for the lord has spoken that's right that's your future so-called white man oh great how do you how do you how would you uh what how should we interpret that though well <laughs> Uh, I would I would say that that prophecy has already been fulfilled and that Eden was already uh, destroyed. I agree. I agree. Well, you you just preach on it. I mean, do you got anything else? Because I'd love to hear what you got to say. If not, that's fine. But I do agree. It's already. Yeah. Uh, well, in my course, we go over. Uh, I give an overview of the whole book, but then I, I focus in on verses 10 through 14. It never actually occurred to me that people were trying to apply in the appointment to white people in America. So I don't know if I have anything to, to comment on that, but 
I did have a, a question for you because well, real quick to the audience, what Jonathan said was right. This has happened, and it, it happened. It was kind of a process that the Edomites, as a distinct people group, were wiped out. It wasn't all and, one fell and sleep. later and remnants subjugated into Israel as well for Amos, but during the Maccabean period, correct. Yeah. Yes. So this is, I agree, it's been fulfilled. And in fact, you know, the sort of Edomite kingdom down there in modern day Jordan was sort of lost to us until, you know, people found it and were like, what? Because it was like a ghost lamp. And so this really was fulfilled. And so as a, a distinct ethnic group, Edomites don't exist. But this raises so many interesting questions about prophecy, because I know the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy are anchor texts for, for all of these. Mm -hmm. And so... There is a sense in which prophecy, now, even as Christians, we don't believe all prophecy has been fulfilled. Um, and right? that's not just the disposition. I mean, all, you know, um, we still have a second return of Christ, if nothing else. But most of but, us aren't uh, full preterists. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah unless yeah. unless you're full preterist, which is heresy, in my opinion. But but yeah. So but they make prophecy. Is it just we need these prophecies to just be about us and all entirely future? Do they have a sense of double fulfillment or or is it just we're going to eisegete our context back into ancient text to make it? I mean, this is not. Well, can I tell you that all the questions you're asking are excellent. And yeah. notice how these questions are also challenging questions for just Christians and not just your regular Christians, but scholars. Right, these are well, big the Essenes questions. were doing this, and 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 the Dead Sea they were they were trying to find. I mean, you know, they were trying to find contemporary to their day. Right, uh, they had rejected Christ, they had rejected the, the Pharisee tradition, all of that. They were, and they were trying to find contemporary circumstances where their teacher of righteousness would be kind of a messianic precursor, if not the messiah and they were trying to find things in their content is this just the same thing all over again just kind of the similar uh i think so i think so so for example um when you but but it's also it, it's also kind of convenient so let me show you what he what i mean by that jonathan because notice though how even though hebrew Islamism has some things that we kind of scratch our head out about you notice yeah. some of the fundamental issues are fundamental basically to your understanding of biblical interpretation and christianity as a whole right continuity between the old and new testaments biblical interpretation especially biblical interpretation of prophecy so much here the position of israel in the church these are actually very important things that's why i'm excited about the church to on a serious level get involved with understanding the ins and outs of some of the hebrew Israelite stuff that's what i'm hoping for to really say okay let's let's teach our people better about this preventative stuff we should have been doing anyway so check right. this out Isaiah 714 right debated text even among people who do see it about christ because there becomes uh, people like ej young for example not fulfilled at all during the days of isaiah only fulfilled during the days of the messiah or they become people, of course, like the counter-missionaries, only fulfilled during the days of Isaiah, not fulfilled mm -hmm. with any Matthew's gospel. Or maybe some version of what you mentioned earlier, a double fulfillment. Was fulfilled in, uh, during the days of Isaiah, read chapter 8. Emmanuel was described as being in the land at that time. Uh, this is a sign to the king, so I think it was fulfilled then. By the way, that's my position. I wrote an article on this a couple weeks ago. But... 
Matthew 1, he's saying it was fulfilled with the birth of Jesus. So some form of a little bit here and all the way of the rest over here, right. double fulfillment, double fulfillment. <laughs> Hebrew you. Israelites will take this one, at least the ones that don't believe in the virgin birth, and make it only during the days of Isaiah. But then they'll take Obadiah 18, which is clearly fulfilled in multiple times throughout history and even the scripture itself to a certain extent. They'll take that and say it's only for the future of America. So it kind of mm. just depends what's going on because a lot of the Israelites reject the virgin birth of Jesus. Well, in Second Temple hermeneutics, they had what's called Pesher, which is to yes. say that that is this. And of course, that's how Peter at, at Pentecost Acts understood two. Joel's prophecy. Right. Acts 2, so Joel it's not two. like this is a. In, so before, you know, I'm trying not to just belittle everything. So before we, you know, just try to, trying to trying to help out. Uh, well, I just want to say that this is not an unprecedented way of interpreting Old Testament prophecies because there were instances where the church, where the where the uh, Essenes, for example, were in, implementing what's called a Pesher interpretation. That's yeah, a second but temple. if there weren't a blue million other things that they've tried to fit into the Bible with this that already give them away. Right. Am I coming to my point that history poses a big problem for the for the uh, Hebrew Israelism because we can see over the course of, of human history so many things that that make this view not credible. So one of the one of the things that I wanted to ask you, is there any self-awareness about that, that this is kind of like on a street level, the scholarly equivalent of Jesus mythicism? I mean, Bob Price is out there, but nobody takes him seriously. And I, but he has the self-awareness to know that nobody, I mean, he can debate Bar Irving. He goes, I know that you all think I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> is there any of that kind of self-awareness that this, this view is not taken seriously in the Academy at all? Or, or even just to add to what you're saying, like yeah. a lack of credit, like we realized that we, this came up like 15 minutes ago. And so, or at least popularly. Right. So we understand that it seems way out there. Like, is there any kind of self-awareness? Yeah. What, 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 how do, how do they navigate those issues of zero academic or, or near zero academic credibility history seems to refute most of right most of that by archaeological here's, evidence here's yeah. the answer conspiracy theory mm. okay all right wait hey real so quick. oh yeah so all well just so basically that's the way they upend everything you know the institutions know or people are controlling this or it's been hidden or that kind of stuff. So I've been. Is it a part of, of? Is it a part of the white patriarchy sort of thing? Uh, it's well, not white folks. The white, white, white folks are seen systemic. as tools of the greater evil upon most of these schemas, mm -hmm. and the greater evil is which Amalek. is the supernatural. So it's our intentional no, no. deception. It's intentional deception on our part to obscure the facts of history as they would see it. That we are trying to deceive the world. For okay, we we but primarily. Yeah. Amalek doing this. So we, Esau is a big part we're of it. Amalek. The Amalek's a bigger part. Say what? We're Amalek. Well, you're right? not, unless you're Jewish, you're not under their rendering. Okay. You're Esau, but you're not I'm Amalek. I'm Esau. I'm Esau. Okay. Yeah. So, so they will say this. Not necessarily Esau's fault. <laughs> now, the common phrase one Wester uses uh, the white man is the devil the Bible speaks of. Okay, and so. They'll kind of, okay. they'll kind of, you know, use that. So there's usually not a self-awareness. One time I brought up to someone and I was trying to be respectful. I said, look, I hear your interpretation. You just got to understand this is 
this has never been offered before. I'm not saying it doesn't make it wrong. Just understand how far out it is and what you're asking us to believe. When I said even within the not the history of biblical interpretation and early church fathers, and not just what the text of scripture says, and then on through, and 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 that was greeted with we don't care, we don't give a f what your church fathers say, or yeah, you know who our church fathers are: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's our fathers. Hmm. So. Now, now, I, now. To be fair, though, that strikes me as I don't need an ism. I've just got me and my Bible in the old oak tree type thing. Yes, but it's not true because they have their teachers right. and YouTube videos. A lot of this is conversion <laughs> by algorithm. Mm. Yeah, because so, you said it was when YouTube when they when they discovered YouTube they really took off. Yes. So social media plus social chaos equals growth in Hebrew Israelism because people turn to answers. And especially if it deals with social justice issues and things like that, a lot of times Hebrew Israelism again, scratches the itch. Well, thank you. Thank you for the tip. Tippy bear who says, what's their exegesis of Romans two, 28 to 29. I have it here says in ESV, since you prefer now for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, for no one is... Any reaction to that? Yeah, well, I mean, those are great verses that I love to use as well. Amen. I mean, these like, are a great like thing. Yeah. I think and they must know, be just, just responding to the notion of people that are maybe this is specifically thinking of uh groups like the sakari or whatever who say uh no you have to be you have to be black basically and well or or native american or hispanic but you can't if, be white can't be white and you, or, you, you yeah but it's not just that you can't be arab you can't okay. be indian okay. east indian you know you can't be asian and you can't be african you can't be hamite Okay. Well, remember they because they do that Shemite. thing. They do the ham thing. Yeah, because they, they think do... they're Shemite. They think they're, they're Shemite, Shemites, so they're not oh, Hamites. Wow. But some of the Africans okay. are Hamites, and they'll okay. say you can tell a difference between our our spirit and their spirit. Is that where the transatlantic trade uh, slave trade comes into? Yes, the... that was Hamites selling Semites. Mm. Do you wow. see? And that's By the why way, the curses yeah. and blessings apply to them because they were. They, they received the curses, so they're going to receive the blessings, whereas other Africans did not receive the curses, so they can't be true Israelites either, right? Yeah, those are Hamites in Africa, whereas they were Semites in Africa. Okay, so, okay, that, that I got you. I was about and to by the way, you're, sense, but... Deuteronomy 28 is what you're kind of referencing, Jonathan, which is very fundamental. They go to the latter it. part of it and say, these curses have befallen our people. So Deuteronomy 28, the latter half, is one of the most important passages for Hebrew Israelism. They use it as sort of a metal detector. You know, how do you detect where true metal is? Beep, 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 beep. How do you detect who the real Israelites are? They have to fulfill the curses. Gotcha. Okay. And then all they'll right. say, and then they'll say, and archaeology backs it up and all these things back it up. And the reason you don't know is because it's conspiracy theory. This sounds, it's making me think with all these tribes being American things, it does make you think a little bit about Mormonism. There is an overlap. And 
There are Hebrew Israelites who on a somewhat regular basis share Mormon resources as evidence for their claims about Native Americans being Israelites. That's, that's like a really bad move. If I'm, if I'm trying to gain uh, academic legitimacy that way, uh, go back to the drawing. But they're not trying to do that because academia is correct. Yeah, that's all the white man. Correct. We don't Which, care about your institutions, Esau. And uh, the book the book wasn't even given to you anyway, so you don't know how to interpret it. You're a carnal man, but it's a spiritual book. So how can a carnal man interpret a spiritual book when it's not even intended for him in the first place? That sounds like what someone would say when they don't know how to respond. Are, to the are there a <laughs> lot of testimonies out there of people who have converted out of that to Christianity that are matter of... Yeah, that's a good question. A lot? Okay, we got to qualify it. Are there a lot of testimonies out there of people who have left it and converted into healthy Christianity? Not a lot. Yeah. Are there people? Are there testimonies of people who have left? Lots of stories about people who have left. People who have come into some version of Christianity, even if it's not healthy, a little bit more of that. But when you talk yeah. about walking out unscathed, it's a minority because mm -hmm. what it does is it it turns people will leave but still maintain a weird legalism or a weird uh almost like spiritual gnosticism that they possess or, or something like that they hang on to mm -hmm. something or they're so so burnt they're not going to trust anybody and all kinds of there's all kinds of fallout so healthy difficult to get it, it's yeah, sad to see it, it seems to be that evangelizing the black Hebrew Israelites, people who have been in it for a long time, and they have this mindset that you're talking about, and everything's a conspiracy theory. So they already have built-in defenses to not reason and evidence and arguments and, and all of that. That will never be enough because of the identity and the defenses that are embedded in this indoctrination to deal with that. I mean, it, it really is kind of a, a good system of rebuffing outside influence and outside. Yes. So, so ha if your heart is for these people and you want to see them come out of this and not just into bad forms of Christianity or just back into secular paganism, but you want to see them come to Christ. It seems like just it's got to be more than than, well, I know how to respond to their arguments because they're not going to care. What 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 is what is that extra? What the Holy is that spirit? Indeed, indeed, and the Holy Spirit uses means. So, what is that secret sauce that that people need to let the Spirit well, use within them that they need to be armed with, so that the Spirit has yes. something to work with? Well, partially, that's why part of my goal or mission that I would say is one is to protect the flock first. Two is to help them. Meaning, I see it as a key goal to raise a defense against this as sort of a theological con contagion first. Meaning, if I have to have a priority of, of preventing a current of someone who's, a, a, let's say, appears to be a sheep in the fold going astray and getting a Hebrews light out, my first job is defense and protect, I believe. It's a, I think that's, that's what I, I think that's what we're supposed to do theologically, but I'm saying that I'm multitasking here. I'm trying by God's grace, but I'm just saying, I see that as a very key, important thing. And so that's why I like the phraseology of, I like to talk about shields and stuff like that, you know, as a defensive. Yeah. You're thinking you're so like when William Lane Craig says, you know, the, someone asks, Hey, look, man, when you go debate, 
uh, some atheist and, and right. it, you're not going to convince that atheist on stage. And he says, well, no, I don't expect to. And I also don't expect that the college students listening in the crowd understand everything that I said. But what they do get is, hey, uh, this Christian seems like he's got more of a case than I thought the Christians had. Right. And so the idea is it's not so much about the person you're interacting with if they're a representative or an apologist of another worldview. Rather, you're shielding, as you might say, sheep or people in the uh, that, that might become sheep right is that what you're saying yes yes hey, now we do want them to come out though we do want them to come out and there's there's different methods for this Jonathan and this is where it's it's tricky one is I believe is because there's so much honor and saving face associated with a lot of this and almost like a honor and shame society the way it is is um, gone about one way is to in a Christ-like way, basically, theologically eviscerate everything happening in an almost merciless fashion. The challenge of times, of Jesus in the in, against the Pharisees kind of situation. Yes, because a lot of times, the niceness and the kindness and it's all seen as weakness, and you can't get anywhere. Sometimes you have to to like sort of verbally theologically rattle these folks, and sometimes that won't look very becoming to outsiders watching your what you're trying to do and it's also yeah. difficult to walk the fine line that's one thing but there's another thing of sometimes you do that but then also you know uh, the insults and all that you let it be like off your back and you still go after everything strong but you have compassion and love and try to hold those together kind of like michael brown talks about with you know what he does in regards to LGBTQ, you know, reach out and resist, but also there's an element of compassion and, and wanting to help, kind of like that. And so, um, and you could be, just, it could be compassionate to, yes. to be very straightforward with people. Yes. So you got to, you kind of try to boot both, both. So it depends what's happening. Let's say you're going on the street and the group has the microphone. What are you going to do? Let's say you have a video. Well, unplug, camera. The, unplug the speaker. <laughs> I've actually seen no. people to do that. They <laughs> lose their temper. Um, what are you going to do? Depends what you got to think through this because you're not going to be heard over them. And unless they're willing to engage, while you have the microphone, nothing's going to happen. So you have to think, okay, this may not even be for them. Maybe I need to make a video where I'm speaking into my camera for later purposes because this won't work very well on the street right now with this situation because the microphone element it just yeah. it never shows up in the video that makes or sense. if you're planning in advance you bring your equipment then you go tit for tat you bring equipment as well or have you, you done find that, the group yes i have done that and so okay. have others have or, you done that with d wood and what do you mean Yes. Usually we find a way to try to engage without it though. Usually we try to find it because we, because it gets kind of out of hand yeah. or another way is go to the groups that don't use amplification and just focus on talking to them. But see, a lot of this takes pre-thought. So it depends what's going on in that moment, but you can almost always turn a, uh, something into a, a teaching moment type of thing. But you know, if you're meeting a guy on the side or this or that, you don't record everything, you know? So it, it just depends, but, but there's a lot to it. Um, it's kind of like how do you deal with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, Nation of Islam, all these different groups. This is like that, but different because the the standards of what they're willing to do are different, you know? Yeah. So uh, we uh, church split here. This is one of our friends, uh, Will Hess. He, uh, thanks for the super chat. 
says, how do they interpret Jeremiah 13, 23, which is the famous, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? I get, you know, because the, like, what do they make of, remind me again, what they make of someone like that, who's an Ethiopian. Well, um, you know, you could just say this black? just means people are what they are, you know. Yeah. But there are Hebrew Israelites who uh, see Ethiopians as actual Israelites. Okay. They're usually okay. of the older variety, usually of the older variety, because a lot of Hebrew Israelites now see them as Hamites. But the older groups of Hebrew Israelism, when they first began, a lot of them began by linking their cause to people in Ethiopia. So they would have names like the Royal Order of the Ethiopians, and so they would actually see them as Hebrew Israelites. A lot of the groups, though, now would not. And so they may just say, well, this just means you can't change what you are. If you're Esau, you're Esau. If you're Hamite, you're Hamite. So what? You know, they may say something like that. Uh, seems they're saying Ethiopian is black, different than Israel. Oh, so like you have, if they, but you just answered that question. So. Well, yeah. So the groups who see Ethiopians as lost Hamites, they they may say there's some similarities in how some of us are, but um, but that but it, it's that doesn't matter. You know, that's not what it's about. It's not about. So it's not just. That's why they'll say it's not just about being black, because there's there's black Gentiles, there's black Hamites. A lot of them think Canaanites are primarily black. For example, yeah, that that's an interesting dynamic because of course even like in black communities they probably get a lot of pushback from you know urban apologists the black church in general um what do they say about just black americans who reject not even necessarily christian but just black americans who reject their ideology and their worldview those are jakes those are israelites who are not aware they're israelites because remember before Jacob was, or he remember Israel's name was Israel later on, but his name used to be Jacob. So they'll say those are Jakes. They don't know they're Israelites yet. So what is what is the the oh, the gnosis the the awakening the how did how how would they describe that? Street preaching and videos are the means, and it's described in the book of Ezekiel, and we are now living in the awakening of the Valley of Dry Bones. Ah. We're in that prophetic time right now. You got to hand it to them. They thought through everything. <laughs> they have thought about it. <laughs> they, well, they get challenged. So they I mean, they, they think through objections better than a lot of Christians do, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, so that's Ezekiel 37. They'll say they're in that time right now. So, okay, we've had you on here for like, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, something this has like been that. fascinating. And this has been awesome. It looks like the questions have petered out a little bit, although the chat is still very active what is there anything you'd like to say to kind of summarize this we want people to go check out your book we want people both of them and if there are other books we want them to check those out as well and we want them to uh check out your channel yeah give all the shout outs we, 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 yeah. all that stuff is there we definitely are encouraging that but uh what is there any summative type thing you'd like to say about it or something you didn't get to mention that you think is super important yeah, I mean, you know, my books are good, and I hope people get them, right? Just look for vocabulary on Amazon. But so fundamental to all this stuff I'm talking about, and yes, I do talk about it in my books too, especially the street-level apologetics, is using tactics. So, you know, pick up Greg Kokel. I know he's got a new one coming out that's supposed to be similar type vibe. 
but tactics and you learn how to ask questions, that's that to me, that's really key. And then um, I'm not saying I agree with every word or anything like that, but I would get volumes one and two of a book called Urban Apologetics edited by Eric Mason. Read yeah. through parts of that, see what's going on. You don't have to agree with everything, but at least will awaken you and open your eyes to certain things, especially uh, the chapter on the Hebrew Israelites. But there's other good stuff in there, especially relating to Kim. Is that the one that's got Egypt. Adam Coleman mm -hmm. in it? Okay. Yeah, he yeah. contributed to the first edition, great chapter that he did as well. So you put those together and you start to you start to get some methods with some information because there's a lot of information. It's very um, a lot of this is very niche. Because when you talk about Hebrew Israelites, then you start branching out into this larger thing that people may talk about urban apologetics, but sometimes on the secular side the, the or the non-Christian side, the conscious community. And then if you're talking about the conscious community, it's people that in some way think they've been awoken to some identity. So that's where you get the comedic people. That's the ones who say, yeah, we go back in some way to ancient Egypt and all these different variations of stuff like that. And Hebrews like to sort of part of the landscape of that. And there's whole channels dedicated to talking about that. So coming back to it, there's this important books to get and you will realize there's a lot more here than you thought. And the other thing, people just need to pay attention. We're on the upside of this. <clears throat> Mormonism is still around, but it is no longer on the ascendancy in the same way it was in the 80s, for example. Hebrewism is on the ascendancy. So we're on the beginning part of this, not the tail end of this. So even people not involved with this kind of apologetic traditionally, I think, should be aware and know where to turn and be willing to engage and take it seriously and and be uh, concerned and caring. And then maybe uh, support people like me. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, we'll... I yes, definitely support. Go subscribe to his channel, buy his books. You on Twitter and all of that. Give all the shout outs that you got. You well, yeah. yeah. YouTube.com slash vocab Malone. That's where I do street apologists live. I go live and I'll try to talk to these guys. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on X. And of course, I do a Patreon thing and all that. Um, but this is, you know, this is a very niche thing, you know, and we're always outnumbered. So, yeah, there's more Christians than there are Hebrews lights in the world. But, man, they're everywhere. They are everywhere when it comes to this stuff. Well, I'm going to be looking into it more. I'm going to start by reading your book. I wish there was an audiobook version, but the print will be good enough. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to see if uh, maybe I can start responding to some of that stuff at, with you as my guide. So thank you so much for being here today, Vocab. It's been a long time coming. Any chance I can get you to freestyle for me for a half second? Sure. Was that a beat in the background or something? There is a beat. Not a good one. I don't know how loud you can make it. Let's go up. Yeah, a little louder. How loud can you get it? Okay. All right. It's action. Chilling with the homie Jonathan and Braxton. Yes, y'all, the beat is hot like the summer. Shout out to my main man, B Hunter. Driving in a Hummer, maybe Range Rover. What's up, Yahweh? You know, Jehovah. Witnesses, we in this book of Genesis. Revelation, we'll finish this Satan hit list. He's on it, honest. We ride it like a comet. Rock the microphone, spit this like vomit. Yes, indeed, we rock, kiss the bomb. Shout out to my main man, my friend named John Pratchett, Pritchett. Okay, I'm gonna rip it. I guess that's the end. Now we're gonna kick it. Stopped.
Oh, man. That's great. Thanks, vocab. And to everyone else, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.